kids. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 49 of the show, which makes me and Mike say, wow, really? Yeah. This is definitely, I think, the longest podcast I've ever done. Certainly the most consistent podcast I've ever done. Right. Definitely by far the most consistent one I've ever done, although I don't think we're quite to the longest yet. But it's 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 been a while. We're almost at the one-year mark. Yeah. So much has changed. We have like Daredevil and I have, now. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. It's still superheroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I have never podcasted consistently for a solid year. Yeah. That's been pretty cool. I like not having taken a gap. I hope we don't jinx ourselves with all this uh, patting ourselves on the back, but so far, so good. So far, so good. Um, I am opening up my Mike's Amazing World because I forgot to do that before we started, so I can remember where we are. But I think that we are in February. Is that right? February. February of 1964. With our first book being, I forget already, Oh, Strange Tales, number 120. And that's you, buddy. Yes. It's me. It is you. Oh, crap. Came out February 11th. Well, it's a good thing I have my uh, my icy hot cream to, <laughs> to spread on this. On this how injury I've done. How appropriate. They should have <laughs> called no the story that icy hot. Right. Oh, okay. It's weird because I've read this issue several times. Why? Even though I've only read all the way through the Torch stories once. I thought Spider-Man was not in this issue. Spider-Man's not, but Iceman is, which means, you know, if you want to be a completist with your X-Men read through, this is part of the this is part of the deal. Oh, so that's why you did a torch separate and then yeah. went back and did an X-Men? Uh yeah. Yeah. So I've 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 read through early Silver Age X-Men a handful of times. Oh, okay. And so this is part of that. And it's, you know, it's a story. <laughs> yeah, well, we can get into that. <laughs> but it is called The Torch Meets the Iceman. Iceman's guest appearance through courtesy of X-Men Magazine. Wow, that's so nice of them. Very nice of them. Deftly written by Stan Lee. Dazzlingly drawn by Jack Kirby, I guess, since it's X-Men. They brought Kirby back on the book. But it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. Um, dramatically inked by Dick Ayers, that I believe. And distinctively lettered by S. Rosen. So this is my turn to get through these books, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see if I can remember what's going on. Um I know that like there's a sort of scene with Johnny and the uh, Fantastic Four where they kind of fill in new readers on what X- what an X-Men is. And yeah. then we go back to the mansion of the X-Men and Bobby's like, man, everyone's always going out with Jean. I want to go out with Jean or some girl. And Xavier is like, yes, you should definitely date women. You are not gay at all. I cannot tell this with my mental powers. So um, he's like, "Here, Bobby. Um, here's a guide to go on some on a, on a boat tour. There you'll meet a nice young man. I mean, girl, and it'll be great." So Bobby's like, "Sweet. I'll turn into my regular clothes. Oh wait, I'm standing here in my underwear. I'm gonna go to my bedroom and get dressed, and then I have regular clothes. I'm gonna go on this tour." And he goes on the tour, and he's like, "Oh crap! The boat's already left. I guess I'll get undressed again." And make myself an ice slide all the way out to the boat, which he does. So I guess like he's now officially a stowaway on the boat. He's walking around looking for people. He meets a young woman standing by the railing, tries to talk to her. And she's like, 
Well, I should let you know that I'm here with a friend. My name is Doris Evans, and my boyfriend is the Human Torch. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, you know, I guess I can't compete with him. And so Torch shows up, and he, you know, they're 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 nice to him, but you know, he doesn't have a girl to talk to, so he goes off and does whatever. Um, then pirates arrive. <laughs> I am not kidding. That's when the pirates arrive. And they're not dressed in like old-timey pirate clothes. They're definitely pirates. Except one of them, I think the leader is dressed in old-timey pirate clothes uh, or something. Anyway, he calls himself Barracuda. Like, like that's the thing. He's the Barracuda. So Johnny's like, oh, no, pirates. I want to catch them with some fireballs. Dory, you go hide. Be safe. And Bobby's like, ooh, pirates, I'll turn into Iceman. Uh, and so then we have Iceman and the Human Torch find the pirates. And at first they get in each other's way, but then they kind of help each other out. Uh, at one point, the torch gets thrown overboard and get, the Iceman gets a chance to shine. But then um, like the Iceman gets in trouble, so the torch helps him out. Barracuda tries to get in a way to, a way to boat and everything gets saved um, with Iceman freezing the water that the boat is under. And then Iceman's like, you know what? Tours are dumb. And he makes himself some ice platforms to walk back to the shore on. And and Johnny and Dory, like, look at the moonlight and probably make out and have the sex and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. That was Strange Tales 120, kids. They ponder whether Iceman has a girlfriend. And he's like, of course he does. He probably has dozens. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Um, yeah, this seems like a no-brainer team up, I guess. They even it say. It does. They say, like, you know. In the letter pages, it was requested. I'm always suspect of that. But, um, yeah, you got a hot guy and a cold guy. Let's put them together. But is but it just me? They really don't seem to mesh. They – that's the problem is, like, there's a crossover and there's a fight. But even the fight, they don't really, like, work together or anything. They're all kind of doing their own separate thing and then it's over. Mm-hmm. There's – other than the one interaction where they're both hit – you know, where he's – where Iceman's hitting on Doris, that's it. And I don't know if more pages would let them have more character interactions, but um, I looked it up. This team up basically never happens again. In all the history wow. of Marvel, I could find one other issue where it's Torch and Iceman in a one-on-one team up. That is so that's bizarre. A Marvel t- yeah, it's a Marvel team up issue. During Marvel team up was mostly a Spider-Man team up book, but like whenever Giant Size Spider-Man started up quarterly in a month, where they published Giant Size Spider-Man. Human Torch would get the monthly book. And in one of those issues, he teamed up with the Iceman again. See, this like started out kind of feeling like a, a Torch Spider-Man crossover. Mm-hmm. Because right out of the gate, you have Johnny reading about the X-Men. And he's like, a guy who could, you know, do a, a frozen version of the Human Torch. This I gotta see. Like, he's all mad. And he's going to have another mm-hmm. feud with another superhero. But yeah, they didn't go that route. So it wasn't all that interesting. It's more fun when, you know, Spidey and Human Torch fight. And hate each other, kind well, of. Well, we did talk. Yeah. Oh, you know, I just thought of. You know, I just thought of. Okay. I, I, I was going to make one comment, but then I realized the continuity thing. We talked recently about how the X-Men really aren't that public yet. But mm-hmm. in the first issue, in the first page of this issue, they're reading a headline about how they beat the Brotherhood. Which is X-Men, the last Four. one we just. the the Yeah, the last one we did. Yeah, yeah. But the last one we did ended on a Xavier has no more powers and is barely conscious and will he survive and let's rush him back to the mansion. Uh Uh-huh. So this story must be set a little bit later. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't call it a spoiler, but, you know, hey, Xavier's doing just fine in this. (laughs) Well, we don't know if he has his powers because he doesn't use them. 
Oh, that's true. But he's not hurt anymore, at least. He's not hurt. Um, and I guess conceivably he could be powerless, but, you know, we're going to find out. Yeah. Well, spoilers. Well, I mean, you would think that they would say something. Right. If he was. But they don't They don't know who he, the X-Men are because they, they make the point of the Fantastic Four saying, we don't know their real identities or, you know, where to find them or anything like that. So they, yeah, just, so they, they made a headline because like, they saved a country, which happens. Right. Yeah. Hey, well, those X-Men, whoever they are, they did this cool thing. Yeah. I wonder where they live. Um, Iceman complains about every time he wants to ask Gene out on a date that Angel or Cyclops or somebody always gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out if the or somebody was just like he ran out of people to say or if the Beast <laughs> actually does. Um, yeah. You would think it'd be easier to say the Beast than somebody. Right. The, the Beast has certainly shown interest. At least before he was super smart, he showed interest. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that was all a ruse, though. Uh, yeah, and... L- Later continuity seems to indicate pretty strongly that Beast never really got to express his affection for Gene. Yeah, and that his original appearances were kind of an act. Right. Um, so, so I'm thinking that, yeah. So he we just know that, class this one. So I am under the impression, or I am not under any impression whatsoever, that at any point did Stan Lee conceive of Iceman as being gay right. when, he, when he was writing him. But now that we know that he is... There sure is a lot of hindsight 2020 going on, isn't there, in these books? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just reading what's, into what's, it. What's thinking? What's make you think of that? Well, first of all, that you know, Iceman is never the first to ask her, so maybe he's just like not really wanting to ask her. Maybe he's just complaining out loud to convince mm-hmm. him, convince himself that he wants to date her, but in reality, he doesn't even try that hard. That's why they're always beating him to the punch. And then there's these like on page three, the whole like going around in a speedo in New York City and. And jumping on a cruise. Yeah. I don't know. That uh, could just be nothing, but. No, no. I got gotcha. you. I can feel like, you. Yep. A little bit. So I, you know, people like Fabian Niciesa and other, you know, 90s X-Men writers are on Twitter. So you can, you know, hear their conversations. And people were talking about Iceman being gay as far back as the early 90s. Oh, wow. Because so, he never has a solid girlfriend or something? Right. I mean, he had that on again, off again thing with, I don't know, Opal Tanaka, maybe Um, the thing where like her, her father turned out to be like, I don't know, crime Lord or something. I don't know. I forget how that story went, but you know, that was his only like protracted relationship up to that point. So I don't know. I mean, the thing is, he's also the youngest member of the team. So some of these mm. attributes that I'm giving him when I read this could also just be passed off as that. Like, right. If he's 14, does he really know how to ask Gene out? Does he care that Gene showed up and she's a girl? Like he didn't in X-Men number one. I think he said a big deal. It's just a girl, something like that. He's not a hormonal teenager possibly, but anyway. And there's one important thing to notice to, to remember about humanity, especially when it comes to characters being revealed to have more going on with their sexuality than had been previously understood. Um, real people realize new stuff about themselves all the time. Sure. And, you know, someone who's always been in hetero relationships can begin to realize that they actually are interested in the same sex. Mm-hmm. So people find out that they're gay all the time. Yeah, It can absolutely. happen in your teens. It can happen in your 50s. So the idea of Bobby, even if 
even if Bobby was 100, if I like could make Bobby Drake be a real person and I could go back to 1993 comics version of Bobby Drake and say, Bobby down inside, are you straight or gay? Even if that Bobby Drake told me he was straight, I still would totally buy that he's gay later because people change and people discover things about themselves. So, you know, and when people say they're gay, you have to believe them. Because yeah, it's not up to you to decide that they're not, right? Right. That's a really so good it's point. Like, you good can't say, it. oh, well, you used to date women, so you're obviously not gay. It's like, yes, I dated women and I never enjoyed it. And I realized one day that it wasn't for me. That's how that mm-hmm. works. Um, I was thinking about this in context of Alan Scott, because Alan Scott in uh, a newer continuity was revealed to be gay. And people were like, oh, my gosh, he had a long-term wife. He had kids. And I was like... <laughs> And yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> plenty of instances of that. But have you never met a, a gay man with a wife? And especially kid? like Alan Scott, if he's the same Alan Scott who came from the golden age when that sort of thing wasn't um, as known or understood. Right. Like yeah. Maybe you just didn't realize that was an option. So, yeah, I'm, we, uh, we are going to be in this podcast totally chill, pun intended, with Iceman being gay. And we can look back and see where he maybe just didn't realize it. Or maybe he did partly realize it and just wasn't saying anything out loud or any combination thereof. It yeah. doesn't really matter that much. No. And I'll, I'll, and also just to clarify, we are totally reading into that because, again, I don't think that was Stan and Stan's intention at all in 1964. Right. But, you know, neither was Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> um, only a couple other minor comments on this. I like when he de-ices and goes back to regular. He says, brr, I'm cold now that the ice is gone. I'm like, wait a second. The ice keeps you warm? I, that's weird. Yeah. Is that like a, a little candy coating or something? Yeah. I don't know. That kind of made no sense to me. And my theory of Doris Evans and her approach to Human Torch's superpowers is borne out by this issue. Because on page four, she is actually rather proud to be dating the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. And at no point in this issue does she criticize his powers because his use of powers is totally consistent with being a superhero and not at all showboating. She even and su- she is cool with all of it. She even suggests he uses them to, to like, you know, warm up the sodas. After Bobby freezes them. And before she was Mm -hmm. like, don't use your powers in public. Right. When have we last seen Doris? I feel like she hasn't been around. Yeah, I meant to look that up because she has been missing for the last uh, story or two. It has been a while since we've seen her. We may have seen her last time for only like a panel or so. Was it when when Spider-Man crashed the party? Oh, I think it was. Yeah, that was a long time ago, I feel like. Anyway. So much for, yeah, that was weird because she was introduced and it's like, oh, potential relationship, something different for this book. And then she kind of just hasn't been in it. Yeah, she really so, hasn't. Bummer. I'm looking it up right now on marvelreading.com, which is the complete Marvel Reading Order website. And uh, she was evidently in the Rabble Rouser story, but I think she was only in like a panel of that. Hmm. And before that, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 8 and her first two stories. She has hardly been around. Yeah, and when she was first introduced, they had this big setup, like, she's going to be the one person who likes Johnny and not Torch. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that'll be interesting. And then that's just, like, gone. Now she's just the girlfriend. Yep. When he has to go on gay cruises. (laughs) What if, oh my gosh, what if this whole thing really is a gay cruise and, like, Johnny and Doris just didn't realize? (laughs) Could be. Oh my gosh. Could be. That's my headcanon now. 
And that means that Xavier did read his mind because it was Xavier Mm -hmm. who suggested the cruise in the first place. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you might want to go to one of these cruises. Trust me. Okay. So... Yes, I love it. Um, I don't have anything else except the Iceman has a really long walk at the end. Like, making platforms and walking himself back to shore. That's going to be a really, really long walk. Uh, Human Torch doesn't care that that girlfriend – not doesn't care, but he doesn't have a secret identity. So this could happen all the time, every time. And he doesn't mm-hmm. even try and keep his identity secret here because he's drawing flame fours in the air in front of people. Yeah. So, like, they never – like, does the FF ever struggle with no secret identity? Because if they don't, you got to wonder why all these other superheroes who suffer the secret identity drama bother with it, if it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Um, the only thing I, I can think of is who's it going to hurt? Like, but before Dora 7 comes along, so things like Dora 7 is another aspect to the equation. Before Dora 7, you have Reed, Johnny, Ben, and Sue. And the only people in their lives are Reed, Johnny, Ben, and Sue. Mm-hmm. And so it, knowing that they are the Fantastic Four doesn't really hurt anybody. Um, I do think that Doris Evans being around does bring the Lois Lane problem into play. Yeah. You know, if they knew my identity, they would attack Lois. Uh, they don't ever use that, as far as I know, in this. No one ever goes and attacks Dory because she's the Torch's girlfriend. Right. Yeah, it's kind of surprising, see, actually. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. And you think like Fantastic Four are at the top of that building full of innocent people and it could get bombed or attacked anytime. Mm-hmm. It has been. Oh, yeah. It's, that it's building been is stolen. full of innocent people. Yeah. Sent to the moon by Dr. Doom. It's been lifted up off the ground by the Molecule Man, right? And that too. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's just the thing I was thinking about. And, no, you're right. I, I'm thinking about this the, the part in Ultimate Spider-Man where Green Goblin attacks the school mm-hmm. because he thinks Spider-Man goes there. Or maybe he knows that Peter's Spider-Man or something. I don't know. And Johnny, even though we never see it, Johnny does go to high school. Yeah. So someone and, could and attack. And he's public. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe no one cares enough <laughs> about Johnny Storm. <laughs> maybe all villains are like, I wouldn't do that. That's just cruel. Yeah. I hate the Killing human torch. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hurt your girlfriend. That's just mean. Well, shall we go on to the next story? Yes. So this is Doctor Strange, no longer master of black magic. Now he is master of the mystic arts. That sounds so much better. And the story is called The House of Shadows. It is written by uh, written at midnight by Stan Lee, drawn by Candlelight by Steve Ditko and lettered at Twilight by S. Rosen. So I guess you know what movie he was watching while he was working. Mm-hmm. And of course, Doctor Strange is played in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Bird Box and Bandersnatch. <laughs> and uh, he is in this story really public, like weirdly public. Um, there is a haunted house and the haunted house is like made the news. Ooh, no one can spend the night in the haunted house. Hey, you know what? This news reporter is going to go spend the night in the haunted house. Yes, I am the brave and fearless news reporter. I will spend the night in the haunted house. And Dr. Strange is like, if only they knew. But I will not tell them because I'm Dr. Strange. Um, so the guy goes inside the house and Dr. Strange just standing outside, y'all. Just chillaxing outside. His astral form leaves his body. Just leaves it there on the sidewalk. <laughs> 
And um, he goes and checks out the house, but he cannot get inside the house. So he goes back to his body, decides to use his amulet, which turns into a big old eyeball that floats onto his forehead. With his eyeball open on his forehead, he can see inside and see the reporter who went in. The reporter encounters some ghosts. And um, the, the, the live feed, the microphone inside, stops broadcasting. So the people in the outside are like, ah, oh, this is some sort of publicity stunt. You're not really seeing ghosts. And Doctor Strange is like, if only they knew. But I cannot tell them, for I am Doctor... No, I don't know. Um, so he basically, like, shoves everyone aside and goes inside the house to save the guy. Um, I forget exactly what it is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's because so they don't tell the guys, us. The guy is surrounded by mists. And Doctor Strange sees the mists. And the mists try to turn into like this cage around him, but he is stronger than the gorillas in the mist. And he realizes that the reason everyone thinks his house is haunted is because the house itself is alive and has all these like inner biological mechanisms of getting people out of it once they're inside. And so he's like, fine, we're going to leave. I'll get this reporter out of here. Then you got to go. You are dangerous. And so Doctor Strange leaves. And uh, I can't remember if the house voluntarily leaves. No. Or if Doctor Strange like shuts it off to another dimension. It does not. And then he just, he just swans off. Yeah. Okay. I actually really liked this one. I thought it was really unusual. And I did not see the end coming. Okay. So here's my thing. I feel like Ditko keeps finding something to do with Doctor Strange and then repeats it multiple times. Because first we had Astral Plane, Punchy Punch with Mordo a lot. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is maybe the second or third time we have this like, something weird's happening in a town. Doctor Strange shows up. He confronts it. It's a being from an ex a different dimension or something. He banishes it back and then goes home and everybody's like, who was that masked man? So... Yes, this time it's a house, and last time it was a, I don't even remember, like a tree or something? I don't know what it was, but yeah. There were the aliens from the purple dimension, too. Yeah. So I just, want, I just want him to like, maybe he can't do it with his page count, but I want him to bring some life into Doctor Strange, you know? Like some people to interact with on a regular basis, or something beyond his origin to give us to latch onto about this person, you know? I get that. Give him like, more where's, character. Where's Doctor, less... where's Doctor Strange's Happy Hogan? <laughs> you know, something. Right now, he is a a plot construct. He's a he's yeah. A, he moves the story forward. Mm -hmm. He's not a character. Right. We had it. We were kind of close with that one story where he met a girl, but uh, didn't mm -hmm. go anywhere. Didn't go anywhere. I guess. Yeah. Um, but the art is fantastic. I always say that. I think Ditko is perfect. For Doctor Strange, you could tell he loves drawing this stuff, uh, especially that bit you described in the end, like how the the mists are kind of trying to surround him, and he gets out of it, and then the the house's eyes are all red and scary and creepy, and yeah, very cool art. But it's just hard to connect. Yeah, with the him. art's fantastic, and I get what you're saying. And actually, um, honestly, of the different criticisms we've had of this book, that one resounds, re, you know, echoes the most with me. Like. I've, I've been enjoying the stories, but you're right. Doctor Strange is not a person in these stories. Doctor Strange, you know, is a is a tool of the plot. Mm -hmm. He interacts with the plot and makes it happen. He's kind of harkening back to like a Golden Age anthology character or something. 
You know? Well, really, that's what these are. These yeah. are these are pre superhero. These are Atlas era, mm-hmm. you know, mystery tales with a with a recurring protagonist. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but do you have anything you want to say? Because I just have a couple tidbits. But um, I just thought that the network reporter Alan Stevens he looked a lot like Doctor Cobwell from the Tinkerer story. Yeah, of Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think the guy standing next to him. What do they call him? Bill Brinkley was a real person. Yeah. That's a real person, isn't it? Oh, Huntley and Brinkley. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And if that is a real person, I want to say, is this like the first time they've not only insinuated a real person, but actually named them? Because usually it's like the Red Leader, but we know who it is, you know? Right. They never actually say President Nixon or whatever. They just show a picture of a person that looks an awful lot like a real person. But this is straight up Bill Brinkley. I just looked them up right now. The Huntley Brinkley report. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a picture of him. Yeah, this is Bill Brinkley. Yeah. It's exactly who he is. So there we go. The first official real person, I think, unless we missed one. In, uh, oh, on the, the actual Brinkley is David Brinkley. Oh, darn it. So they're still doing DCE things. Yeah. Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. And that's the only actual real person I've ever known of named Chet. <laughs> Chet Baker? Come on. I don't know that person. <laughs> Chet Baker sings. Look up that album. It's real fun. Okay. Okay, I will. Anyway. I, um, I think that's all I had, really. Oh, no. Like, also the whole, like, um, he uh, uh, just showing up, like you were saying, in the synopsis, that's kind of new for him, like, being so public. And and when they're, like, I love the one guy who's, like, elbowing him. Like, he's just a normal dude. It's really mm-hmm. weird to see a normal guy elbow Doctor Strange. Like, that's just what you should do. And then he's, like... Ghosts aren't real, right? And then <laughs> Doctor Strange replies with like the most sorcery, black magic-y, scary response you could come up with. Um, and then the guy's just like, that dude's crazy. But like, I think the last story we had, he purposely made sure they all thought it was not real. He didn't want them to know it was real. Uh, you know, keep magic on the down low sort of thing. Right. And now it seems like and I didn't he go doesn't back care. And look, I didn't go back and look and see the exact wording, but I seem to remember in early issues of Doctor Strange how, like, his name was only spoken of in whispers. Mm-hmm. Like, like he wasn't an actual person. And then there was that one with the with the woman he saved. And I think people said, like, you know, we've heard of Doctor Strange. We've heard he can do help, you know, help with things like this. But we don't actually know. Um, but this is like, he's just walking around out in public. But there was that other story where two cops show up because they've heard of his abilities and they needed help or something like that. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I'm thinking Picking of. up or dropping off. Dropping off. <laughs> Movie quote. Anyway. Exactly. That's all I really have. Well, I guess I, I forgot to say one last thing about this. We are beginning to see this is where the transition in Doctor Strange's facial appearance begins. Oh, yeah. We're seeing more open eyes. Now, they are still very heavily characterized mm-hmm. o- uh, eyes. Um, but his but jaw he's drawing square. them differently. Yeah, he's got like mm-hmm. a white man face now. It's changing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that he's intending to completely Caucasianify him. I think he's trying to find a different way that's less, maybe less insulting, to <laughs> yeah. show Asian features and and make it clear that they're you know different. But um, but yeah, Doctor Strange is changing. <gasps> oh, he's going through the change. Okay. <laughs> So that's all. all. I I think that is it, which means that it's your turn, buddy. I got to work for a living. Well, we have some suspenseful tales tonight. The 53rd one, in fact, 
Uh, it's called The Black Widow Strikes Again. I don't think the credits are special, except I will say, here's how the credits are listed. Story plot by Stanley, script by N. Korok, art by Don Heck, lettering by S. Rosen. And I'm like, oh no, N. Korok. I don't know who N is, so let me look up what N stands for. I don't think N. Korok is real. I no, think, this is... I think it's just Stan Lee. No, it's a person. It's not N. Korok, though. That's a... Um... That's a pen name. Uh, oh. He only does like two issues of well, who this. Who is it? Because they don't list it on any of my normal sources. Like, um, I looked him up. Mike's Amazing just says Stan Lee. Comics.org just said Stan Lee. It's Don Rico. Oh. Well, um, nobody's listing a, that. Yeah. And Korok is, because uh, he was listed in a uh, 52 issue. Don Rico, he was a, a golden age writer mm. who at this time was moving into... Um, TV and films and novels, and he didn't want his novel publisher uh, knowing he was doing comics. So he does. Well, um, he does these two issues kind of out of nowhere, and no more comics until a couple years later. He does a Doctor Strange story. I think we need to go around the internet and write all these index sites and let them know that because they failed me tonight. <laughs> None of them listed him at all. So anyway, I thought it was just Stanley being clever. Um. He does but that. On to the plot. Okay. So after this really cool splash page of Iron Man flying around and, you know, Black Widow, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Let's get to the actual story. We open with Tony Stark and he's working on an anti-gravity device. And he's tried every normal, rational science way to make this thing work. So now he's just going to do a weird comic book way. And he just <laughs> wires the thing at random. Like he doesn't even remember what he did. He's just going to wire it at random. And see if it works. That's literally what he's saying out loud to himself. And guess what? Guess what? It works. And suddenly there's like a big safe hovering over his head. And just as that's happening, Happy walks in, thinks that the safe isn't hovering because of Tony Stark, but rather is just going to fall on his boss. So he tackles him out of the way, which causes Tony to drop the anti-grav device, which is essentially just like a orange cube. Um, when he drops it, that fuses all the wiring. So now Tony can't even like open it back up and see what he did. So he's got this cube thing that works. It can lift anything, but he can't duplicate it. So he goes to Washington and explains that. They're all like, boy, you're a moron. You're the smartest moron we know. It is sure, it's sure cool that we can lift tanks now in the air. And they're doing that, and a reporter sneaks in and takes a picture, and the military's like, oops, that's sucky. But it is because it ends up on the paper, and guess what? The Red Curtain reads about it. And they're like, hmm, if only we had the Black Widow. And there's like a caption that says, but the Black Widow is still on the run because she fears for her life that you're going to kill her for failing last issue. Meanwhile, Black Widow reads that paper too and thinks, hey, if I can get this device for my country, maybe they'll let me back in and not kill me for failing last issue. So she writes a letter to Tony. He's like, ooh, that's that pretty girl who tried to kill me. Invite her over because she's pretty. So she comes over. She apologizes and cries and says, I'm sorry. I know I tried to kill you, but I'm pretty. And he's like, yeah, you are pretty. So all is forgiven. <laughs> hey, by the way, since you're pretty, do you want to see this cool top secret thing that I have? So he pulls out the, uh, the what is it, anti-grav cube. And she pretends to fall. And then in her purse, all this like powder comes out and knocks out uh, Tony. And she snatches the... Uh, the uh, cube up with a big yoink and walks out the office because she's Black Widow and she's awesome. 
So she goes back and reports in. They're like, here's what we want you to do. And then all is forgiven. That's my horrible Russian accent. Um, so while Tony is charging, she has been tasked with destroying all of Tony Stark's facilities. So one by one, she goes over there with the anti-grab cube and like lifts up tanks and trucks and things and throws them all around. And then she leaves and uh, Tony plays catch up as Iron Man, like going around pushing everything back to the ground, I guess, somehow with his armor. Um, meanwhile, I guess the Red Leader is not as uh, 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 confident with her as she thought he was because he sends over a couple cronies to help. They're like, let's see what this thing does. And they shoot a car outside a window and the car flies in the air and Iron Man happens to be flying around looking for Black Widow. He sees a floating car, big red flag, finds them, goes into the apartment, gets into a fight, easily beats up the two guys as Iron Man, but then she zaps him with the thingy. He's like floating around, but then the two stupid guys like get in the way of the beam and he falls. And then she has like the whole building crash down on Iron Man, but he's strong. But by the time he gets out, she's gone because the last stage of her mission is to rob Fort Knox, uh, <laughs> Goldfinger style, I imagine. Uh, and apparently Fort Knox is in a mountain or something. I didn't know that. I don't remember that in Goldfinger, but it could be. But the thing can lift a mountain. So it lifts the mountain. Uh, meanwhile, the military shows up and the goons are like shooting at the tanks and stuff. But of course, tanks are no match for anti-grav guns. Um, Iron Man shows up and now he has like a little transistory thing that renders his anti-grav gun useless. So it uh, 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 stops working and the mountain starts falling and the Russian guys are in Fort Knox robbing it. So Iron Man quickly goes in there and rescues them, much to their astonishment. And then uh, while he's doing that, Black Widow gets away again and Iron Man's like, yeah, but don't worry about it. A, the uh, anti-grav thing won't work anymore and I don't know how to make a new one. And B, she's pretty. She is, in fact, pretty. The end. Wow. Um, I think there was a lot of misogyny in this. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, this was... As I was reading it and going, wow, I can't believe they said that, I was wondering if they were purposefully being very uh, stupid man about stuff just to make her success even more shocking or something. I guess that's possible. I don't know. It, you're, you're just a woman. What? It just feels like... <sighs> It kind of feels like this is the only Black Widow solo story we're going to get for years. And she's just not that effective. Well, she's just too busy being pretty and being mocked and wearing the fur coat. Um, I don't know. Is, is this? She does do a lot of destruction. But once the other guys show up, they don't trust her. They're like, man, you know, we gotta sh I don't believe you that this gravity thing works. Let me do it myself. Oh, wait, it does. Yeah. Now, at on the other hand, the guys are the ones who mess it all up and attract Iron Man. They are. That's the thing. Like, every time someone comments in there in a way that's atrocious, like, well, she's only a girl. She won't get very far. But then she totally gets very far. Or yeah, you don't know what you're actually doing. Right. And then they screw it up. So, so maybe I'm misremembering it. So, yeah. That's why I wasn't sure if it was on purpose. Like, these, they were purposely making these guys idiots to show off that she's more than she seems or something. That's one way to do it. Yeah. I'm hoping that's the reason, because otherwise it's just like kind of yuck writing. But so you know how when you're a scientist <laughs> and you're trying to develop a technology, and you've done the math and you've done the engineering and you've figured out how it's supposed to work, 
and you put all the pieces in place and they don't quite work the way they're supposed to. So you just like throw it on the Lego box and pull it back out and to see what it does now that it's all jumbled and it works. You know how that happens a lot? It's happened to me once, but I was also like eight years old. So, <laughs> And then after you have very unscientifically done your science and you can't remember how to, how to replicate it, you can, however, successfully create a um, diametric opposite force <laughs> that is able to counteract it with your, with your transistors. Yeah. yeah. This is not how science works at all. No. When I was eight, I decided I was going to make the ultimate ant killer. And so I mixed every chemical we had in the bathroom into mm-hmm. a thing and I poured it on ants and they did die. So well, hey, clearly that's how science works. That was successful. Yeah. But could I replicate it? No. No. Could you make an anti-living serum to counter that serum? <laughs> that would have been beyond me, but you know, I'm not Tony Stark. You, 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 you're just, you're just dark side. You're trying to find the ant life equation. What I don't understand is like even the parts where, sorry, where she's like, uh, you know, lifting tanks in his buildings and stuff. He comes in as Iron Man and fixes it, but I don't know how he does that. What does he do? Just push him back down? I don't know. It doesn't really say. Anyway. The art's Maybe wonderful. He just catches things because they just float off into the air. He just catches them, puts them back down. Yeah, that's what happens. And one weird thing is like, okay, you have a ray being pushed on, being you know beamed onto something. I know what he's doing. He's flying in the way. He's flying to to like block the ray from lifting the thing. But what should happen, which doesn't, is that now that he's in the way of the ray, the ray just starts doing him instead. Yeah, and that doesn't happen to the thugs either. No. No, so, it doesn't. And there are parts like on page eight where he's been she's already been there and he missed her and that stuff's just floating. Like how does he get that down? Her ray's not there anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I would take back some of what I said earlier, because I was just misremembering. Looking at some of my notes here, and yeah, some of what Natasha does here reminds me actually of her uh writing in the like the first Avengers film. Mm-hmm. Where, like, in that film, at least twice that I can recall, she played into what men expected of her and used right. that to her advantage. Yeah, she cons Loki, of all people. Yeah. There's the uh, there's the guy at the beginning, whenever it's her first scene, and then she cons mm. Loki later. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think of Happy and Pepper in this one? Uh, they're kind of quickly turning. Maybe they've always been one note. But I really don't like Mr. Sadface Happy in as terms of how he's rendered that Mm-hmm. That's bugging. Um, yeah, I don't know. Pepper wants Tony real bad, and and uh, Happy wants Pepper, and uh, Tony doesn't want either. <laughs> does, does not want either one. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I'm trying to read that Pepper is becoming less hateful directly and more like teasing in her insults, but that might not be honest. That might just be me, you know, wishful thinking. Um, Because she's still pretty, pretty hard on him. She at least let Black Widow through the door. This time. Usually she just lies and says he's like not in the office or something. And it's, it's worth pointing out that since we never really said this before, Happy Hogan really, really, really needs to lay off. Like if this were a real life situation, his, his no signal came through a long time ago. Yeah. Like the minute she first spoke to him. Right. And if a woman tells you no, you don't keep pestering her. But she has gone out on a date with him. Oh, yeah, she did. But does he not pick up that that was kind of a desperate, I have nothing better to do thing? I don't know. It's the 60s. You're just supposed to 
cave, I guess. We, we can't really treat it like a progressing story except for when it actually shows progression. Other, all the other times, it's like the sitcom dynamic, like like Steve Urkel and Laura Winslow, you know? Mm-hmm. They had the same note all the time except for when they actually did something different with it. Right. Which will happen, you know, in what, 40 years or something? Something like that, somewhere. By the way, as of this recording, happy birthday, DC, 84 years old. Wow. Anyway. 84 years old. Unrelated or sort of related. Um, I don't I was know on what page else to say. Six. I wrote some stuff down about page six. Okay. Uh, page six. Okay. After Tony and Black Widow were totally flirting with each other, Tony's like, I underestimated the Black Widow. I knew she was up to no good, but I had to pretend I trust her. And I'm like, I call bullshit. <laughs> I think Tony was totally falling for her and is now trying to like talk himself back. Yeah. What was the pretend for? What was the strategy? Why did yeah. he have to? And why did he have to show her the top secret thing? Right. If you suspect her, don't show her the top secret. Don't give her a chance to be evil just because you want to prove that she's evil. Or at least, like, give her a minor chance to be evil. Let her, like, take the extra five bucks in your wallet or something. Or at least have a thought balloon that says, I'm going to see if I can trick her into stealing this, and then I'll stop her as Iron Man. And then be and then like... at the bottom of that page... Yeah. Cunning and ruthless, though she may be, Madame Natasha is a woman... And she loves pretty things. See? I mean, you know how the women's are, right, Mike? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. That was a caption. So that wasn't even like an interpretation. No, that's just direct storytelling. And you know, it's fine that she likes pretty things, but the whole, because she's a woman. It's kind right. of weird. Right. Anyway. There was, um, there was a, a bit in Washington where a senator is talking about Tony Stark. Uh-huh. How how can Stark call such carelessness an accident? Losing our most important new weapon that weighs almost criminal negligence. We met that one senator a few issues ago, and he's hardly shown up. But Senator Byrd could be the senator who's talking here. And he ain't wrong. And uh, I'd love to see him actually show up more and getting into the story. Yeah. I think in both cases, he had right to be angry, if I remember correctly. Right. So he was super careless. It was crazy. And it's kind of weird how bipolar, I mean, for lack of a better word, how really like, you know, going back and forth to extremes, Stark's reputation is like he is really cool or really not with the, you know, with the Washington and the military and everything. Well, it's funny that they play that so well in the MCU. Like he's absolutely needed, but at the same time, it sucks to have to deal with him. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if you make yourself so needed because you're so intelligent and you make these awesome things that it's like you can get away with being a a careless person, I guess. Not that he's that way. He's not very Robert Downey Jr. in these stories per se, but he is careless. Right. But I did feel like the story was starting to pad out there towards the end. um, And I did not really like Tony's resolution. Like if he doesn't know how this thing works in the first place, how does it create nullifying Ray? I don't get it. That was very easy ending. Yeah. And he also created something that could track the signature of it. That kind of makes sense, I guess. But but that's, um, like I said, that's the last solo Black Widow story for a while. The next time we see her, she has an amorous archer at her side. So she gets away twice. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're trying to make her like Iron Man's Catwoman or something? I was thinking the exact same thing when you were saying that. Like Catwoman, Batman kept letting her get away. Yeah. I Bruce, mean, you could have stopped her. Yeah, it's a nice night tonight, isn't it? The moon's out. Yeah. I mean, it's not that blatant, but I don't know. I guess they don't want her arrested for some reason. 
And you have the origin story of the Watchers. So the second story is actually kind of, well, not kind of, it is in continuity. It's not just wrapped in MCU characters telling a random story that doesn't matter. So pay attention this time, kids. Don't tune it out. This is Tales of the Watcher, the way it began, dot, dot, dot. Story plot by Stan Lee, script and art by Larry Lieber, inking by Paul Reinman, and lettering by Art Simek. Um, starts with the Watcher watching. He's watching some surgery on Earth. I guess it must be a very important person or something. And he's like, oh, I could totally tell those doctors how to fix this guy because I'm smarter than them and more powerful. But I cannot, for I am the Watcher. And then he kind of breaks the fourth wall and goes, you want to know why? And we say yes. So... He goes all the way back, eons or aeons or aeons. That must be a long time. Aeons, whatever that is. <laughs> Before the birth of your world, there was my world, and it was full of perfection. Think of like the greatest Star Trek races where, like, you know, poverty and sickness and all that has just been destroyed, and we're all male and we're all bald. Uh, and we're so cool. That we can even live a long time if we take these, like, Vita Ray baths. Makes us virtually immortal. Anyway, one day, this guy with a beard said, or with a chinny-chin-chin thing, said, we should spread this awesomeness. We should go around and teach lesser races how to be as cool as us. And apparently there's four people or so who run this planet because three out of four of them agreed. The fourth one was like, I think that's a horrible idea, but since I'm outnumbered and we live on a peaceful planet, I'll go along with it. So... They come up with this new invention where they can, like, turn into, like, I don't even understand exactly, like, living energy lightning bolt thingies. And they just mm -hmm. fly around space. And after 100 months or something, they go, they make it to this first planet. And it's a bunch of green guys. And they're like, we will teach you nuclear power. And you will use it to have an unlimited supply of energy and, you know, do peaceful things like we did. And they're like, hey, thanks for this knowledge. And so the watchery race turns into energy and goes off to watch some rare dimensional eclipse or something like that. While they're gone and unsupervised, this race that they taught nuclear power used it to create bombs and go to war and kill each other. So after the Watcher race comes back from enjoying their beautiful dimensional eclipse, they check in on this planet and the planet's been devastated. And there's like three guys left that are alive and they're like, you taught us how to kill ourselves. You suck. And they're like, what? You weren't supposed to do that. You were supposed to, you know, end world hunger. It's like, well, what do you expect? It's nuclear and we had to make bombs because we're primitive. And then the one leader who didn't want to do it was like, see, I told you. And so the main guy whose idea it was in the first place decides we will not only never do this again because it went really bad. But from now on, I forbid anyone in our race to take any action of any kind. From now on, we will simply watch. And that's why the Watcher watches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine this gets retconned a little bit at some point. I don't know of any. As far as I know, this is still the origin story of the Watchers. This seems too uh, simple or something. I don't know. It's, it's weird because this is still basically... A morality play like all the other watcher stories mm -hmm. it's just now the characters in it are the watchers yeah and so they say this is eons ago mm -hmm. meaning our watcher is much more advanced than these guys in theory well i got the impression that our watcher was one of the characters in the story oh did you i didn't yeah 
Uh, he never gets a name, but I thought that. Um, I guess if they're immortal, he could be. Yeah, uh, the guy Endu's son. Oh, he is wearing blue and stuff. Mm-hmm. But to me, the Watchers always seemed very godlike, like they could just appear and disappear. And well, yeah, he claims to be. Yeah, he says my father and I were members of the world governing body. Oh, see, that's what happens. Reading comprehension, kids. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, uh, I don't. I don't really get the whole punishment they've given themselves or what the purpose is exactly. Why do you have to go around watching everything? Why can't you just go home and stay out of it? And I kind of feel like Ikor is just like making this decision for his entire people. He did. Like, yeah. Like without asking anyone, like this is the way things are now sucks to be you. And I, and, and with that note, the last panel is also is, is like the watchers saying, so that's why I have to live this way. <laughs> kind of sucks. I don't really have any choice, but there it is. Right. It's like one, do, does everybody agree to that? Well, we know the watcher eventually doesn't to some degree. He cheats a couple times, but, uh, yeah, he gets put on trial for it. But yeah, it's like, why is that the takeaway? We're going to go around the galaxy and watch important things. Mm -hmm. Like, because we killed the civilizations, like the takeaway could be a go back home and just live your peaceful life and stay out of other people's affairs. Or B, the takeaway could be, let's try this again, but this time let's supervise their progress instead of just leaving. Right. That could work. See, I feel like that part of the story got a little bit imperialist. Like, I'm not entirely sure what the the best solution is, but I think it's what you just said. Because giving power to somebody who doesn't know how to use it safely is dangerous. It's endangering that person. Mm -hmm. The Watchers endangered this society by giving them power they didn't know how to use safely. Mm -hmm. So if they had stayed to supervise and like helped them build up like the safeties and and checks and balances they would need for the use of that power, that would have been a much more mature act. Let's go back home and the four of us will come up with some sort of, oh, I don't know, prime directive. On, <laughs> I was the exact on same thing. <laughs> who we can give this nuclear power to. Like, number one rule, they should have one government and be living in peace. You know, no factions right. or anything like that. Yeah, they didn't do anything like that. And so this big punishment that they've been living for eons over it just seems kind of weird. And my one complaint is that we get Emnu and Ecor, <laughs> but we still don't have the proper name for the Watcher yet. Yeah. Wasn't it? Uh, so. I don't know. Richard. Roger the Watcher? Yeah, Roger. There you go. Oh, well, I like that it was at least more important, this story. like Yeah, I actually, for some reason, remembered it as being the last one, the mm. last of the run, but we still have a few more to do. Uh, that was issue 53. We have precisely four more to go. I bet they could have had this story without the Watcher's involvement still probably on a plate somewhere, and then they just made it the Watcher. Yeah. Because this could yeah. have easily just been a story that the Wasp tells, too. Oh, one other thing I picked out of it is that by talking about how they can turn into energy and just like beam themselves wherever, mm -hmm. that explains how the Watcher just shows up and does stuff. Yeah. I've just never seen him do it looking like, you know, a human lightning bolt. Right. No, he's 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 better now than he used to be. Mm -hmm. Well, that's advancement for you. So shall we move on to our last story? Our last story. Not forever. This is the big one, folks. Yeah. The Fantastic 426. Yay. The this is unforgettably written in the grand manner by Stanley, powerfully drawn in the heroic manner by Jack Kirby, inked by George Bell, lettered by Art Simek. Oh, wait, that was not dramatic. 
Okay. So this is um, what happens to the fabulous Fantastic Four. Did you know that Stanley wanted to call them the Fabulous Four? Did he? That's what I heard. Wow. I think that's why he likes to call them the Fabulous Fantastic Four. Fabulous. No, Fantastic works better. Yeah, I think so too. When the Avengers take over. So Reed is sick. Sue is worried about him. Johnny has been beaten and is tired. And the thing is trying to fight the Hulk. The thing has been fighting the Hulk since last issue. He's still fighting the Hulk. And um, Johnny like broke an arm, but he gets his strength. He wakes up in the hospital. He's like, I'm, I'm going to go help my buddy. So he helps the thing fight the Hulk. And there is fighting and there is fighting. And then there's more fighting. <laughs> the Avengers come to town. Uh, at one point when the thing and the Hulk kind of get separated, the Avengers uh-huh. show up. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, no. I'm sorry. No. The Hulk finds Avengers Mansion. Turns out he was not just in New York, you know, on a whim or because his rampage took him this way. He was heading for Avengers Mansion because he knows where it is because he used to live there. Um, And he goes to Avengers Mansion. The Avengers are there and Rick Jones is there. And they're like, come on, Hulk, calm down. We'll be okay. And the Hulk tries to kill Rick Jones. You left me for that Captain America guy, even though we've never even seen that on panel. They just talk about it in the narration all the time. And I'm going to kill you. And, um, yeah. So the Avengers fight, uh, Wasp actually gets to do something. It's cool. She goes into the, uh, the Hulk's ear canal and like makes sounds and buzzes on his ear, uh, you know, tubes and, and, um, you know, is able to distract him long enough for Captain America to try to take him down with his shield. Um, Hulk fights Captain America. Captain America said I could do this all day. Uh, the Fantastic Four show up because Reed is suddenly feeling better because it's ready for the plot. Uh, and Sue no longer has to worry about him. So they go to Avengers Mansion. They fight the Hulk. They get in the way of the Avengers. And the Avengers and the Fantastic Four start fighting each other. And uh, the Hulk, like, skadooshes. He takes Rick Jones to a, a construction site building. And... Um, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers work together to try to stop the Hulk from hurting or killing Rick Jones. The thing eventually ends up in cement, so he's kind of out of the way. And um, there's just so much fighting in this. Finally, I think it ends with Ant-Man, Giant Man and the Wasp turn into small, and they get some ants to distract the Hulk long enough for Rick Jones to throw a gamma-ray-treated vitamin into <laughs> his... Mouth. He chews up the Flintstone, falls in the water, turns back into Dr. Banner, and everything's all better now. And they're like, it's okay, Rick Jones. Captain America will be your mentor. And Rick Jones is like, really? Is that a thing? We just keep talking about it, but I, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, the Fantastic Four are like, yo, Avengers, new kids, right? New kids on the block. Yeah, y'all are pretty great. Maybe, maybe one day you'll be as cool as the Fantastic Four. And... We'll have much better movies than we have. The end. You said a Flintstone vitamin, and then that made me visualize, uh-huh. what if it's like a Hulk vitamin? And then I was like, that'd be silly. But then I thought of Hulk masks and thought, no, that's exactly what they would do. They'd make this vitamin in the shape of a green Hulk. So the Hulk <laughs> could eat his Hulk vitamin and turn into Bruce Banner. That would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. A lot of fighting. This is all fight, 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 fight. And a lot of uh, 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 not really good character beats during the fight, kind of. The the Captain America stuff seemed to stand out to me as being pretty cool. I was thinking about that when I was reading because I knew that you'd be focusing on that. Yeah. 
uh, all the stuff like, well, I don't know if we want to skip around to that already, but all the stuff where they get in each other's way, it's just like, wow, guys. Yeah. Knock it off. At one point- So what did you think- At one point, Iron Man deliberately attacks Human Torch because he told him, because he thinks he can't do anything. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to blast you. Wow. Really? That's I nice. said, stay down, kid. Bam. Yeah. Tony's crazy. Anyway. So when the Fantastic Four show up and the Avengers are fighting the Hulk, like, I feel like we're supposed to sympathize with the Fantastic Four because it's their book, but it's like, no, this is a really complex fight. The Avengers are already there. You should stay back or, like, look for a way to be helpful. Yeah, that is a good point. It's actually weird because I kind of feel like this is an Avengers book, even though it's Fantastic Four number 26. I sort of forgot that for some reason, I thought that Fantastic Four 25 goes into Avengers, you know, five or something. But it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just two FF books in a row. But this is very... Yeah, it's more like this story goes into Avengers 5. Yeah. But this is very, to me, much more an Avengers book because you got Hulk through the whole thing, who's an Avenger. You got them, like, trying to deal with his absence and return. Uh, they do better fights than the FF, really. The FF spent a lot of time in bed. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I thought that Reed was really over the top, dramatic, ridiculous. Yeah. But he's sick. Uh, He's one of those people who's like, I'm sick. I can't do anything. You must, you must do everything for me. And I'm going to try to do something. Oh no, (laughs) it didn't work. Must Must, go back to bed. Must stand up. Must help think you're sick. Lay down. No, can't. Must be carried back into bed. Right. However, I will say this. Last issue they just made some passing remark like, oh, he was messing with deadly chemicals and fell over. And you and I were both like, well, that was stupid of him to do mm-hmm. that. But in this issue, number three, the doctor says, Reed Richards took his life in his hands working with this chemical in an attempt to fix the thing, which I like a lot better. Yeah, like, that's a much better way of writing that. He feels guilty enough that it, what happened to Ben, that he's actually risking his life with these crazy chemicals to try and find a cure for him. So in some weird non-specific science way, um, he was, you know, he had to do something unsafe with some chemical reactions mm-hmm. to try to get them to work the way he wanted them to and it ended up backlashing on him. Which is much better than him just accidentally uncorking the wrong bottle. Right. Or like throwing all the science just on the circuit board at once just to see if it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I love the so, thing fight. Yeah. I feel like. Even though he says out loud multiple times in here, like he's doing this for his fans and in case there's move or TV crews around, he doesn't want to look weak. I think what he really is trying to do is keep Johnny from dying. I could just be reading into that, but that's what I'm going to do because it makes it better. Right, it does. But uh, yeah, he keeps telling the kid, stay put. This is my fight. And every time Johnny tries to fight the Hulk, he ends up back on his back and he's already got bandages all over his whole body. And things just like, I think, I feel like the thing is just taking it upon himself. Like I'm the guy who could take the punishment. Of all of us. So just let me do it. And the rest of you stay back. And then he kind of masks that with like, you know, this whole like, I just want to be the, the hero thing. But he doesn't really mean it that way. Yeah, this is the first time when we really see just how much punishment the thing can take. Mm-hmm. And I never really realized it before in the terms I'm about to say it. But this is not about the thing being able to beat the Hulk. He can't win this fight. But also, he can't lose it. Like, he can take enough punishment, but not really be hurt. Right. And I've, and we'd never really seen that to this extent before. 
Um, it's kind of presupposed in some of the other stories, like when he straps the bomb to his back and walks inside the monstro or whatever it was, Giganto or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that maybe if there was a blast, he could take it. Yeah. But, but this is where we actually see he takes a lot of punishment and is able to keep on getting up. Yeah. See, he doesn't have the unlimited strength or stamina like the Hulk does, but he's not bleeding either. And I feel yeah. like he knows kind of like as long as he keeps fighting the Hulk, the Hulk won't fight anybody else. The Hulk is and sort of he's sort of pitiable in this. He's page six. He says the Hulk will never trust anyone ever again. I've been betrayed by anyone I've ever known, but no more. And at first I was like, okay, Hulk, you're being so dramatic. And then I was like, you've only been betrayed by, well, there's the Avengers <laughs> and there's Namor. Oh yeah. And as far as you're concerned, there's Rick Jones. Yep. And we haven't even talked about your really sucky childhood. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everyone you've ever trusted has betrayed you. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. I mean, the Avengers in particular weren't so great with him. They were really not great with him. <laughs> so that's pretty fresh still. And, you know, he's not exactly the most calm, patient person on a good day. So Rick I Rick already knew it was going to be an issue because he was worrying about it before it happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I love when the Hulk does stuff like page seven. They fire a cannon at him and like he catches the ball and uses its momentum and swings it around back at them. Yeah. That was pretty great. That's very cool. Um, he also stops a train by holding his hand up and nobody dies. That was kind of weird. But And then he drives the train. <laughs> he gets behind the wheel and starts driving it. And it's fantastic. Hulk driving a train. Can that be one of your little like panels in the image for this episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, though. Like, uh, I think the Wasp is the most successful against the Hulk in this issue. She actually stuns him. She stuns him in the ear. And in the end, she's the one who brings the ants that make him like stop to itch himself for, mm-hmm. for Rick to stop mm-hmm. him. So really the wasp beat the Hulk. And I love that the she I love that she she went after him. He got away with Rick because all the Avengers are, you know, freaking dogpiling on each other in this close combat situation and punching each other. And Rick gets snatched by Hulk and jumps away. And she's the only one with the foresight to like go after him. And then she's the one who jumps in his ear to keep Hulk from hurting Rick, which he may or may not have done anyway, but she doesn't know that. So this is the most heroic we've gotten to see Jan B in months. Yeah. In the FF, of course. In the FF, of course. Yeah, you're right, though. I love the Cap-Hulk fight. I, I, they've, they've fought multiple times, and I always think it's cool. Uh, I don't have any like delusions that I think Cap could ever beat the Hulk, but I also like that, at least for a little while, the Hulk could never seem to stop cap either that probably wouldn't mm-hmm. last forever you know eventually the hulk will just pick up a mountain and throw it on him or something but right but it's neat i like when cap uses judo on you know a seemingly an impossible opponent and just makes them embarrassed it doesn't hurt hulk at all but it's embarrassing so it's snarky about it in the recap but the whole captain america rick jones thing uh-huh it's not a thing you notice that cap like, doesn't say anything yeah like Thor is like, you know, he's, you know, Cap has taken Rick Jones under his wing and, and Hulk is like, Captain America has taken Rick Jones under his wing. And the newspapers were like, Captain America has taken young Rick Jones under his wing. And what we saw was Captain America be like, take that suit off right now. <laughs> Last issue. Yeah. Even Rick's like, 
Cap might take me under his wing. But no. Nope. <laughs> like even the end of this issue, I think it's comical how Giant Man and Thing and Thor all talk about Rick Jones and Bucky and Cap doesn't say anything. And, yeah. and he's standing there. They're like working out his life for him. And he's just standing there. I guess. I guess you're Bucky now. I don't know. Thor says you're Bucky now. But he's not. And he won't be. Well, he will be, but not right now. But like for two issues. Yeah, exactly. I got to the Rick Jones's finally Bucky comics. Yeah. I'm like, all oh, right. Next issue, it's Captain Marvel. Yeah. I mean, and then <laughs> that what's really crazy is then Rick Jones for the rest of his freaking Marvel life will feast off those two issues forever. Well, Captain America trained me to take I out 20 Bucky men. Man. It's like, when did he do that? You were with him for two issues. Right. Well, you should work with Cap sometime. He teaches you how to pick locks. Wow. You really like had a lot of Cap experience for two issues. Well, we do we do hear about him training Cap. There is before he goes and becomes the Hulk sidekick again in the Tales to Astonish run, he does do some training with Cap. I think he and the team brigade both get trained uh, you know, Cap trains up, up a bit. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's the he's the non Bucky for a few months. Cap is like really good at training. Anybody who has ever, even for a single panel, trained with Captain America is suddenly much better. Can handle themselves for the rest of their life somehow. As long as they say out loud, I've been trained by Captain America. Right. Same with Reed Richards, I guess. Because every Fantastic Four member is like, Reed taught me judo. I could beat you, Dr. Doom. (laughs) I want to use his his rubber dough fighting (laughs) technique. Um, It was about this part of the story when I was like, okay, okay, okay. Wait a second. Last issue, the Avengers were chasing the Hulk. And they went into the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what did the... And so I go back, you know, to the beginning of their scene and, oh, Giant Man just says, we return to New York just in time. The reports are true. The Hulk is on the rampage again. And I was like, okay, how quickly does this happen? Like, did he... Did they fly back? Did they use Southwest or Delta? They had a I helicopter, mean, right? I guess they did have a helicopter, but still, it's like, wow, you got back really, really quickly. And when they're about to take on the Hulk, Thor says, we have no wish to cause any injury, but it's up to him. But it looks kind of sad when he's saying that. Like, (laughs) he actually really wants to bust Hulk up. Yeah, that's not um, really a Thor line, is it? No. We have no wish to cause. That's more of a a, a, a Donald Blake line, to cause injury. Sounds very doctor. But the fight scene in this is so 1960s comics. And I kind of want to reimagine it with like a 2000, 2015 movie appeal mm-hmm. but like i don't think it, i just think it doesn't work like can you imagine all of these guys in one room in a building fighting with the hulk it's much cooler when iron man just calls the hulk buster armor down from space and it gets on him and the two of them go at it that's yeah. that's easier because even like captain america versus iron man in one room that was a really huge fight yeah like they filled that room that's like a tales of suspense 58 fight yeah yeah um there's a couple like little tiny things like Cap continues to be all like, you should know better than to attack the Avengers. It's like, Cap, you have been a member of the team three whole seconds. You don't even know if the Avengers are cool. <laughs> In fact, so far, the Avengers have not been cool. Right. <laughs> all they've done is fight each other. So I appreciate the team spirit, but seems a little early. Maybe he's just maybe he's just trying to fit in. Yeah. I imagine Steve Rogers was always, always kind of awkward socially. Yeah. So well, he's just like. This, this sounds like the right thing to say, right? Especially yeah, okay. man out of time. He's probably latching onto anybody who will have him. Right. Um, 
There's an interesting comment from Hulk at the top of page 14. He, uh, there's Thor with the one thing I fear. Yeah. That unbeatable hammer of his. I've got to move now. And I was thinking, that that's interesting. I didn't know he was scared of Thor's hammer. We've never seen that. However, there is a whole fight between these two that we haven't read yet. That was retconned into the Avengers 3. Well, and also the last time they fought, there was that whole page or so that made me real happy where Hulk could not defeat Thor's hammer. And so oh, he was trying to like pull he it was out trying of to pull hand, it out right? and he couldn't do it. And so now there's like something that defeated Hulk's strength. And in his mind, that probably means it's the scariest thing in the world. Okay. I like that interpretation. It's, it's uh, I don't know. It might be a bit of a stretch, but I think it works just enough. Yeah. Um, so, but it is weird that he, he admits out loud that it scares him. That's very unhulk like very unhulk like the hammer as it's flying back to Thor gets, you know, it knocks the thing out of the way. <laughs> And things like, what you do? And Thor's like, don't venture wrath on me, thing. And in my house, we have a saying. We like to quote Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You whine like a mule. You are still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if something happens and you're making way too much of a fuss about it, it's just like, okay, you know what? You're whine like a mule. You are still alive. Keep on going. That's pretty funny how, like, he gets hit and that one panel is just like his rocky feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Um, so speaking of art, I believe last issue we did not like Kirby's rendition of the Hulk. Has he redeemed himself in this issue or is it still kind of wonky? His face is a little weird in some places, but that's really the only thing I have a problem with. Yeah. And I think it's better than it was last issue, but it could be a little. Yeah, I don't know. He's trying something different with the Hulk in these two issues somehow. So this is this is a side note. This is unrelated. And this 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 part's free. But um. The thing on page 15 gives Thor a hard time for his hair length. Mm -hmm. And this is 1964, where hair length was discouraged on men. Mm -hmm. And like the movement to have longer hair was considered, you know, weird and newfangled. And as I've gotten older and thought about it more, it feels really weird that we have like cultural standards around gender and hair length. Like, that's bizarre. Like, guys should have short hair. Women should have long... Why? Sometimes. Sometimes. It varies from culture to culture, well, but that's... that's an era to era. usual typical Western thing, yeah. Like, I imagine 100 years ago, it's probably fine, right? Um, Especially in, like, Europe and stuff. Like, revolutionary Europe was... Yeah, a lot more long hair on men. But see, here it comes back again to, is this the thing thinking that, which actually works for me because he would be a kind of guy who thinks that in a way. I don't Yeah, he was military, he was a pilot. I don't think the thing would ever judge someone solely by their hair, but I could see him making some preconceived notions in the sixties yeah. about a hippie, you know? Or is this Stan's actual thoughts, so that's just what he's writing. Like when he writes that Sue really likes to vacuum. <laughs> Sue really loves that cleaning. Yeah. I do love that line. You've even got muscles in your voice. <laughs> I do like that. Was that was great. Um, um, this, so this is like the biggest crossover we've had, right? I mean. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, 25 and 26 of the Fantastic Four are a really huge deal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel quite as big as it should, but it still feels pretty big. Because mostly because they didn't get along and they didn't fight very well. No, they didn't. And so much of the Fantastic Four, like, spend most of the time dead. It's mostly the thing. It's like basically Human Torch, Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Iron Man, Captain America, Wasp, Giant Man, Thor, Thing could not defeat the Hulk. 
which is yikes. That's pretty astounding. Yeah, very yikes. Um, couple of other quick notes. Captain America's shield is really flat <laughs> and really thick. Yeah. On bottom of page twenty, look at that thing flying towards you. It is. It is a massive disc. Yeah, they're like. Um, I think that's been the problem since his, you know, timely days. Is like just different ideas of how that shield looks. It feels like it takes a while before they just have a consistent idea of what the heck this freaking shield is. Mm-hmm. But that's way mm-hmm. too flat. Like that's an arm breaker every single time something hits him. Yeah. Um, and eventually they're going to do the magnets thing and all blah blah blah. Anyway, at least they're getting the stripes right. Yeah. I don't really pay attention to things like the stripes. Where are the stripes right? Well, like in the Golden Age, they'd vary often. Sometimes there'd be red and blue okay. circles. Traditionally, it's red, white, red, and then the center is going to be blue with a star. Gotcha. But sometimes... Yeah, the Golden Age was much more different Yeah, than much that. Golden Age was all over the place. And I think I've said this before, but they then retcon that to explain the different Captain Americas, which doesn't work, but still works. It's kind of cute. Oh. So it's like William Naslin's shield had a blue stripe. But that doesn't really work when issue number two has a blue stripe. Anyway. And some of the shield coloring, I've seen differences between the original colors and their recoloring jobs. Uh Uh-huh. So I don't remember in my head now which was which. But I feel like the originals might have been more red, white, red, white. And then their recolorings were red, white, blue, white. Yay for digital. Yay. Um, Yeah. So... I like the size changing with Giant Man. He does that really, really effectively here. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out not too far down the road, but still quite a ways that he's actually doing some serious damage to his body with all this. I was wondering about that because that's a lot of pill popping in a very short time. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of pill popping, lots of really dramatic changes, and it's going to come back to bite him in the butt. Mm -hmm. Not the wasp. I don't think they ever deal with the wasp getting stuck at a size. Um, I say that. There's so much wasp I haven't read. In the Silver Age, it doesn't happen. She hasn't gone giant, though, has she? The only giant woman wasp I know of is the end of Secret Invasion. That's a long ways from now. But yeah, so she hasn't done that in our books. She's only going normal to Ant. Mm -hmm. Um, This pill thing, I imagine that won't last forever because that seems really easy. Shoot a pill into his mouth and he turns to Bruce Banner. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably only that does seem really probably going to work once because pretty much you could hire any sharpshooter to get a pill in the Hulk's mouth. He's constantly growling. Yeah, so um, I guess that's about it. I'm looking at Thor's last comment. That's why Captain America has taken Rick under his wing because he reminds him of his own lost partner. And yeah, it's like he's really talking. Everybody's talking for him. But even if he were actually doing it, would that be healthy? I mean, no, it's not. And we, we didn't think it was in Avengers 4 when he first sees Ricks and goes crazy, right? Right. But we kind of we wrote it off as he just came out of being a capsicle, so it's okay. He's a little weird right now. And he even said right. himself that it was a little weird and he caught himself. Right. But uh, I love Thing like, hey, that's right. You used to have a sidekick named Bucky, didn't you? And then like Thing pulls out a slice of lemon and rubs it into Cap's wound and Cap doesn't say anything. And Captain cries a million Bucky tears. <laughs> it's like, wow, thanks for bringing that up. Used to, by the way, meaning you know that he's dead. And I just woke right. up yesterday. Thank you, Thing. Okay, so not necessarily knew that he's dead, but just referring to the olden days. Mm-hmm. Hey, back in World War II, you yes, how all this, you know, you had a sidekick fight. Yeah, that's, right? that's true. Right? What happened? I, and it was like, Ben, Ben, shh, stop. Kill. Kill switch. Don't. Turn the microphone off. 
<laughs> but he says nothing. All Cap says at the end is, I can't help feeling sorry for the Hulk, Rick. It's a tragic thing to lose a partner. Perhaps I, more than anyone else, realizes what a loss it can be, how it can affect a man of action. Which, yikes, on that dialogue. But that's all he says. He feels sorry for the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to make the Rick feel better about feeling guilty, sort of. It's 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 a little effective. I think it's it's it works pretty well. Yeah, but then everybody else goes off. Yes, Rick is our new Captain America partner. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic yeah. Four is like, okay, we didn't ask. See you later. And everyone walks away happily, leaving billions of dollars of property <laughs> damage behind them. Damage control. So that is the end. We have a next issue box for guest starring Submariner, oh, Doctor no. Strange, and a million surprises. I was disheartened to see the name Submariner again already, but I'm intrigued by Doctor Strange for sure. Yes. When was the last time we saw Submariner? Well, uh, last event? Oh, no. Two Avengers ago, I guess. Oh, yeah. He was in the Avengers. He hasn't been in the Fantastic Four for a while, but he was just now in the Avengers. Oh, that's a good point. See, I keep thinking this is an Avengers book. You're right. He hasn't fought the Fantastic Four in a while. So that could be fun. But this brings us to the end of a month. Does it? The 11th was the end of a month? Yeah, I guess so. These were all February 11th books, and we are now at the end of February 1964. What the heck did kids do like the third and fourth week of the month? Just nothing? Um, Other comics were shipping that month. Oh. But Marvel is Marvel's only shipping the first two weeks of the month. How weird. Yeah, I don't know when they get third and fourth weeks. Let's see DC. I'm just looking at oh yeah, DC has a lot more books. Look at that. Yeah. But they're all lame looking, kind of like falling in love, <laughs> secret hearts, our army at war, Green Lantern. Okay, I'm just kidding about that one. Well, just just for grins, the Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen this month was um him being elastic lad with like three Legion women pulling on his body. Elastic Lad is cool, though, kind of. Yeah, it, it's it's Silver Age kitschy cool, but yeah, it's cool. That's what I like about DC is the kitschy stuff, I guess. Even though I don't really read much of oh. it. Anyway. Metal Men 7 was out. If you want some fun kids comics from the Silver Age, Metal Men. I'm all about some early Metal Men comics. That is a very um, provocative cover. With them all as a gun, yes, that's kind of bizarre, but it's still a really solid all series. As a, all as a gun, and the doctor is going to shoot himself in the face, it looks like, or something. Crazy. Oh, this is the, the one month with uh, Superman and the famous Pope hat. Super Pope hat on Action Comics. Oh. Why are we looking at DC Comics Because <laughs> I was just curious how many more titles they have, and it looks like quite a few more. Yeah. So, I don't know, is Marvel still being limited, or they just haven't come up with anything? Probably being limited. Yeah, probably... Probably being limited. They're going to be limited for a while as we realized, what, last episode or the one before that, where it's like, wait, Daredevil's the last new thing for years? And some comic called Monsters to Laugh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Which we won't be covering. No, no, we will not. Um, All right. So this month we had, as I just mentioned, Daredevil number one, (gasps) where Daredevil had his origin story and took down the fixer. Okay. Yeah. We had Journey into Mystery 103 where Thor first meets the Enchantress and the Executioner. We have Tales to Astonish 55, where Giant Man shows the PowerPoint about how much of a dumbass he is, <laughs> and then goes up against the human top, who turns giant! Uh-huh. Amazing Spider-Man 12, where Peter Parker is unmasked by Dr. Octopus. Honestly, it's getting to where I can't remember our podcasts after the fact, I don't remember almost anything we said about any of those issues. What happened besides him being unmasked in Amazing Spider-Man number 12? Like, anything? Um, 
Well, he was sick. Yeah. And so oh. Octopus captured Betty Brant and Spider-Man went to face him in the, the Coney Island carnival. Uh-huh. I remember that and part. And he got beaten up soundly. And then later on he gets better and goes back and beats up Dr. Octopus again. So that's all that happens? He just goes back and beats him up? Hmm. Yeah. And there's some cool Peter Parker, like, you know, drama. But <sighs> oh, and Betty Brant gets a new haircut. We didn't even talk about that. Betty Brant got a new haircut that issue. Yeah, I'd- and then we're back to what we said this this episode: Fantastic Four twenty six, uh, Strange Tales one hundred twenty, and Tales of Suspense fifty three. Boy, well, worse is going to be Tales to Astonish, just because God, another freaking human top, and it wasn't even drawn that well. So blah blah blah. You know, at least with Strange Tales, it was Kirby, mm-hmm. so that was kind of cool. Yeah, Tales to Astonish did nothing for me, so that's the least favorite. Okay. What's your uh, what's your top? I kind of want to give it to Daredevil because I feel like I want to give him a nice welcome, you know? Right. And it was a very solid – that's totally the Daredevil origin story. But at the same time, it was like, oh, yeah, that's the Daredevil origin story. So kind of seems sort of straightforward. Mm-hmm. And Fantastic Four 26 is – even though it's a big fight, so it's not maybe easy to be critical about, it's epic and huge and big. <sighs> so what's your top? See how I stall? <laughs> Is that your deflection? Yeah, there? <laughs> I'm going to stall for a second. So I kind of feel like this is the month of, oh my gosh, that's such a big story. Yeah. And then it's not quite. Yeah. Like what I wrote down my notes was this was a really strong month, but I was just looking back and thinking about these stories like, okay, Enchantress was a really cool character, but I don't remember really loving the story. It was okay, um, yeah. Giant Man Fighting the Top again did not go well. Mm-hmm. Unmasked by Dr. Octopus, that really lives in my memory from childhood. But now I'm having a really hard time thinking about what all actually happens in that story. And then the 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 Avengers and Fantastic Four was not great. Human Torch versus uh, with Iceman was a, was a non-event. And Black Widow, while being a cool femme fatale, didn't really have a great story. Yeah. So I'm also inclined to give it to Daredevil as the as the top pick. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to do it. Just to be nice to LDD. It's something new. It was probably the most exciting thing I wanted to read. I'll give it that. Like when we were mm-hmm. when we were looking at what we're going to read this month, I saw Daredevil and was like, "Yay, let's read Daredevil." So, yeah, Daredevil number 1. Although I FF26 is pretty that? FF26 is pretty big, but Yeah. It's just a fight. I I think Amazing Spider-Man 12 had my favorite moment because really that unmasking at the carnival, that's that's a huge moment for Peter. And it's going to have echoes for a while. Oh, they, they um, still flash back to that. Yeah. Yeah, so, they still do. In terms of Marvel history, that's probably the the book right there. But as far as just like the really solid enjoyment, I think I'm going to go with Daredevil number one, which, um, yeah. So Daredevil for you and Daredevil for John. Um, I need to pick a worst. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to take a big old stinky dump on the torch. Really? That's better? That's worse than Tales to Astonish? They were they were in competition. Yeah. So I was just going to balance it out with the torch. Okay. With your, with your, giant, with your giant man. I mean, so, the human top did get giant, so that's kind of interesting. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, in terms of crossover, Strange Tales was like our worst crossover probably we've had. Because, like, they don't cross mm-hmm. over. And, uh, you know, it's worth mentioning Doctor Strange is in there. He's never on the cover, so I always forget to mention him. Yeah, but he's not my favorite pick either. Yeah, not my he's, least. He's not top or bottom. No. 
All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of another episode. So I'm going to bring up some some welcomes to the Make Ours Marvel social media fun party. Wow. Can we call it that? That's what it's called. Oh. I just named it. Awesome. Um, we've gotten a lot of, oh, wow. We've gotten a lot of likes. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know where I left off. I think I left off way down here. and There's like 20 of them. My gosh. Okay. Um, I'm just going to like go through some of these and we'll save more for next time. Sounds good. Um, Cause I don't, I don't want to just, I love the idea of like naming everybody who supported the show as a podcaster. But when I'm listening to shows, listening to a really long list of names is not always appealing. Yeah. So here's our Patreon um, list. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's see. I think I've mentioned Adam Smith, because emo and condiment enthusiast was a really fun tagline. Um, so Mike Garvey at Avant Garve, which I like. He's lowbrow, but I rock a little know-how. Fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. He's a podcaster on the Waiting for Doom podcast, which is a Doom Control podcast. And also the Gone to Texas show and at DC OCD cast. Which I need to check out what that DC OCD cast is. I'm really curious. I think they're really into DC. <clears throat> I am too. Um, we have a name that I've heard on other podcasts. I want to say that he was a big supporter of, um, what is it? Michael Bailey's show. Views from the Long Box. Yes. So Dr. Ange, 7-0. Uh, Ange is a huge Supergirl fan in charge of the Supergirl comic box commentary fan site. So that's uh, that's a name that I've I've seen a lot on Twitter in the various threads and stuff. We have Carl Bakey at C Bakeware, whose life is made up of coffee, relationships, and comics. We have the Waiting for Doom podcast, uh, <laughs> which is the uh, Twitter account for the Doom Patrol podcast. Uh, they're not an index show; they're like a general like hop around, talk about the different aspects of Doom Patrol history, focusing on different stories including the current version being published by the Young Animal Imprint at DC. We have the Mega Dumbcast, a daily podcast identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page of Palladium's Heroes Unlimited role-playing game. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. And a show that I've guested on is the Tomb of Ideas, which is a Marvel horror podcast. If you love Bronze Age Marvel horror, this is your show. So go find Tomb of Ideas on Twitter, and they have episodes going up every other Wednesday. And I was on one recently. So they're doing like, um, they're doing Tomb of Dracula, they're doing Werewolf by Night, they're doing Zombie, all that stuff from, uh, and they're, they're an index show, but they're kind of like picking their own order. Mm. So they're, but they're all doing all the early Marvel horror stuff for them. And I'm going to push the pause button on the list there because that's already quite a lot of time I put into that. We're going to have to get through a lot of people in the next few episodes, though. And, uh, yeah, so thank you very much. We always appreciate retweets on Twitter and reshares on Facebook. And while I'm bringing up the Facebook, Mike, can you tell them where they can find us? They can find us at facebook.com slash Marvel. Well, I really hope that's true. That is true. Okay. Or just makeoursmarvel.com. See, I'm typing it right now, kids, just to verify that I'm true. Um, yeah, or makeoursmarvel.com where you can find links to Google+, Facebook, 
or Twitter or and Twitter if you do all three. Um, you'll also find a contact form that you can use to write us letters. We periodically read those in special mailbag episodes, which we like very much. Um, and of course, on the site, you can just find all the links you need to how to subscribe and get us all those download hits. We've had a few people like us on Facebook recently, Frank Miranda, Felix Ramirez, and Rick Mercer. So thank you for supporting the show through Facebook, sharing out our show, talking about us to your friends on social media, chatting up the show um, is always very, very helpful, even more than a retweet. If you like post something that says something about why you like the show, that, that's amazing. We always really, really appreciate it. And um, I try to send humorous thank yous out to everyone who retweets our stuff every week. So uh, we do appreciate that. So, um, so we talked a lot about unhealthy relationships in this episode. So until Henry Pym starts putting on a costume and calling himself the Wasp because his wife is dead. Make ours marvel. marvel.